Uh, so this afternoon I'm with former England cricket player uh, Roland Butcher, uh, famous for being the first black player ever to represent England. Uh, but this afternoon I don't really want to talk to Roland about cricket because uh, he currently has a new coaching manual out and uh, it might surprise a few people to, to find that this coaching manual is not on cricket but it's actually on football so uh, good afternoon Roland how are you? It's very good afternoon and I'm very well thank you. Great to hear it you're, you're enjoying being locked in all day every day the same as the rest of us. Well Terry um, being at home is something that I quite enjoy so it just means I'm home a little more than I normally am but uh, I'm making the best that I can everybody's in a similar situation so there's no point in really worrying about it. You just gotta get on with it, get through the days, and hopefully, um, in the not too distant future, we'll be able to get back all onto the field up there. Absolutely. Well, as I said at the start, there, uh, when you talk about Roland Butcher, everyone instantly thinks England cricketer. Uh, played for Middlesex for for many years. Uh, did a little bit of coaching after that finished, and until recently. You were the director of sports at uh, the University of West Indies in Barbados. While you were there, presumably, that involved all sports, not just cricket. Absolutely. I mean, director of sports means that you're in charge of all the sports. New Eureka Phil, we had some 15 different sports. So it was quite a big portfolio and uh, something that I enjoyed um, developing over those 15 years. Interestingly, as I said at the start, you've, you've just brought out... Uh, a coaching manual which is a football coaching manual and probably a lot of people won't realize that you were quite an accomplished semi-professional footballer uh, also back in the day uh, playing for Stevenage and Biggleswade. That's correct um, yes during my cricketing um, days uh, as you know in the early days of professional cricket the summer literally ran from April to September and in those days um, players initially didn't go overseas in the winter, so you had to have a, a winter sport. So football was always my great love. So during the winter periods, I would play um, semi-professional football and then return to cricket um, in April. So that's something that I enjoyed for many years. Yeah, of course, a few uh, famous other famous cricketers did that. There was uh, uh, Phil Neal, who uh, played football for Lincoln and also cricket for Worcestershire. Worcestershire, that's correct. And, uh, oh, what was his name? Coombs, who played for... Yeah, yeah, Jim Coombs. Jim Coombs, that's right. Played for Warwickshire and Aston Villa, did he? Yes, Ted, Ted Hensley, plays for, for Sheffield United and yep. Worcestershire. And don't forget A.T. Botham, Scunthorpe. Of course, how could, how could you forget Ian Botham? So, um, how, how, how was your career at, uh, at Stevenage and Biggleswade? What, what sort of position did you play? Uh, just before you go on to that, um, don't forget Arnie Sidebottom, who played for Manchester United. Um, yes, uh, Stevenage and Biggleswade, I, I was a striker. Um, I think one of my attributes, I think I was fairly skillful, but... I did have good pace, so it was natural for me to be a striker. And um, obviously, at, at some point, uh, it was was it towards the end of your career that you decided you were going to, at the end of your cricketing career, when you decided you were going to do the the football coaching courses, or was was that while you were you were still playing? I mean, that's, that's obviously started while I was still playing because um, you know I I thought towards the end of my career that 
you know, once your career is over, you need to have a few more strings to your bow. So I felt if I was able to have a cricket qualification and football qualification, then obviously that would open up opportunities for me going forward. So long before I retired, obviously I did the prelims, etc., etc. And um, it was on return that I then really got seriously into to and did the, the FA coaching certificate and then obviously the UEFA B license. And uh, as a result of that, I believe you ended up doing some work with Arsenal and also Reading? Yes, I mean, even um, during my playing days, um, I, I started off um, playing with the Arsenal ex-professional team, which travelled around the UK um, each weekend, you know, playing charity matches. So I played with a lot of the great players of, of Arsenal over the years. And so it started there, then I developed um, into a soccer school coach, and I did that for about 10 years. And um, yes, I coached at Reading as an academy coach. And that really came about because um, while doing my UEFA B license, um, I met one Brendan Rogers on that course who was doing the same course at the same time. Um, and we hit it off pretty well during the course. I think our thinking were fairly similar in terms of how the game should be played and how it should be coached. And we got on very well. And following that course, uh, sometime later, um, Brendan was appointed as the academy director at Reading Football Club. And to my surprise, one day my phone rang and uh, it was Brandon on the phone. He said, look, I've just been appointed as academy director at Reading Football Club and I would like you to come and work with me um, as an academy coach. So I said, um, after the surprise, I said, of course, I'll come and work with you. And I went to Reading Football Club and I worked on with him for, for a while. And obviously, while while you were uh, while you were doing that, were there were, are there any players that you were coaching through as a youngster that went on to make it into the first team? I think there were some players who got through. I can't actually remember the names right now. I mean, um, I obviously because you know you looked after your own team. Each each coach had um, a team uh, sure. to coach, so I was coaching a, a particular team. Um, but I know some of the players did actually go on and represent and um, Reading and and other clubs. We, we, we actually have a, a similar sort of background because uh, I played semi-pro football for, for a number of years and, and also ended up coaching the youth team, but I was also doing work for a couple of pro clubs. And it's great when you get to see uh, some of the youngsters come through. And interestingly, I was watching the documentary about Justin Fashnu last night and uh, Justin ended up as a, a coach at Torquay, which was one of the clubs that I work for. And one of the, one of the young players that played for me, I, I sent him down to Torquay. And it, it sounds, I know it sounds strange, but Justin took him under his wing. Uh, um, and he couldn't speak highly enough of Justin. He, he made him, he said, because he was looking after the youngsters at the club, he brought him through and made him into the player that he became. And... and Obviously, most of the players that you, you talk to, players that, uh, as they get older, they always remember the young, uh, the, the, from when they were young, the coaches that actually helped them get where they were today. And I think that's, that's a really important thing because there's so many coaches who go and do their coaching badges and only end, only end up coaching youngsters in local leagues or in, in pro teams academies. And, and we all know that, you know, out of... Out of the hundreds of kids that attend an academy, only one or two or maybe three will get through from each age group to actually make a pro footballer. 
but they always they all the kids always remember that coach that helped absolutely i think you know just not just in football but in all sports i think the coach has a very important role because you have very young kids who you know they look up to the coach and they spend a lot of time at home with their parents but you know the time spent with the coach is very very important he has such an important role to play that if it is done properly I and mean, it leaves a lasting effect on those kids even when they become men so um, the role of a coach at a young age is, is should not be underestimated. You know, his role really is just so important because he's got young minds that he really needs to craft um, into what they're going to be later on. And if he does it well, and as you said, you know, the player will actually sometime in the future say, so-and-so coach had this effect on me and really has been the reason why I am the player that I am now. Notwithstanding the fact that the player obviously will have its own natural skills and ability that they need to develop but i think the coach can assist that player um, to become a much better player and, and a much better human being well that's the thing because coaching coaching young kids isn't just about giving them the the skills on the field they probably wouldn't be with you in the first instance if they didn't have some sort of ability but it's making them aware of what the future could hold for them and how to conduct themselves and get their attitude right in in that way uh, not necessarily just the football it it's giving them life lessons as well i mean absolutely i mean anyone can pick up a coaching manual and design drills for, for players to go through but that's all they are they're only drills um it is not just the drills that the coach actually does. You know, as he says, it's his interaction, it's his communication, etc., etc., with that individual. So really, you know, he has to be a role model himself. That the player growing up will say, you know, I, grow, I really want to be like Terry. I want to be like Terry. And that's the effect that coaches need to have on players. Anybody can just do a set of exercises and get players to go through it, but that doesn't really help the player apart from just really developing his physical skills. Um, it's a lot more you have to do for your coaching youngsters. So I'm not sure exactly when you did your coaching badge, but I would guess there was, there was a fair chance it was around the same time uh, that I was doing mine. And in those days, the English FA uh, used coaching manuals from a guy called Charles Hughes, who, it has to be said, <laughs> was probably not the greatest coach of all times. Well, he, you would say he probably wasn't the greatest coach. Yes, um, I, I obviously started my early um, certification um, probably back in the 90s. And yes, Charles Hughes, um, his books were, were, were utilized, his manuals were utilized at that stage. But I mean, what Charles Hughes did was he exploited the strengths of the English game, which was the long ball game. And, um, you know, his thing was based on the long ball, you know, Big, big players up front, the ball hit from back to front, and the big guy you know, wins it in the air and somebody gets on the end of it. And also, you know, his thing was built on, on corners, and you know, he did the stats that show that the majority of the goals were, were scored from like, dead ball situations. So I guess it was relevant at that time. Obviously, it's not relevant now because the game has changed completely. But yes, when I started um, those early prelim badges, etc., etc. Um, those were the manuals that we had to work with, um, because at that time there was nothing else. No, I mean obviously at that time as well, uh, there was also uh, what they were doing for kids in, during the school holidays, and I did a lot of the, the sessions. Uh, it was the the Coca Cola soccer camps, 
and the, the, the Coca-Cola program, I think Charles Hughes had some input into to writing it. And if you worked over the whole eight weeks of like the school holidays in the summer, and you had a different group of kids every week for those eight weeks, it just became monotonous in the end, because Monday you would do passing and, and heading maybe, and then Tuesday you'd do dribbling, and, and then Wednesday you'd do shooting, and... Uh, and it became monotonous because at the end of it, you, you, you knew what you were going to say and how you were going to say it and how you were going to demonstrate everything so off pat. It was just like a factory. It was like a factory conveyor belt. And you got thrown right under the bus when you got a kid come for a second week. <laughs> yeah, those, those, those days obviously were completely different. And as you said, you, you, because you don't spend enough time um, with the kid, you don't see the overall development. I mean, what you do over a week, um, you know, you, you do with a, a group of players. But as you know, as you know, you know, once you're coaching a team and coaching them regularly, it's really over a period of time that um, his game evolves, and, and obviously you can see the impact that you're also having. Difficult in those soccer weeks. I mean, I did loads of those um, soccer weeks myself, and um, you know, once I became also an Arsenal soccer school coach, then. You know, I was doing that on a regular basis. Uh, but I gravitated also from that, being the soccer school coach. And I was actually the organizer of Arsenal Soccer School. So I had about four or five counties that I was in charge of. With maybe, you know, 30, 35 coaches working under me. And I was really just the person, you know, organizing, making sure they ran well, um, getting the Arsenal players in those days. Because we used to get the Arsenal players to come and, um, you know, on presentation day, which was a Friday. You know, the Arsenal players in those days, which is totally different now, um, the Arsenal players, all, all the first-team players actually had to go to soccer schools and speak with the kids and do presentations, etc., etc. And um, I can actually remember some funny things, um, and I, I, I will remember um, Martin Keown in particular. Um, once they didn't want to, he wanted to get out of the soccer schools, and... Um, my boss, Alan Sefton, who was actually still at Arsenal now, um, happened to do a deal with Martin that if he went up to Birmingham and did something, he would have to do it in soccer schools for the rest of the year. <laughs> but it was very interesting doing those soccer schools. But the Arsenal ones in particular, um, the first team players, David Platt and all of those guys, Nigel Winterburn, um, Lee Dixon, all of those guys, Kevin Campbell, Paul Davis, all those, all those players had to go out. Um, and meet the kids at the soccer schools. Well, that's right. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what it's all about when you're coaching kids. You know, they get the chance to, to meet people who've been there and done it. And, and that makes the whole school worthwhile for them, and it's something for them to aspire to. So, Absolutely. So, Plus, I mean, you know, the photographs to get taken away, and, and actually the players used to do the presentation of the medals and certificates. So um, there were lots of photographs, lots of parents, and those kids went away, you know, with the feeling of, you know, this club Arsenal is doing a great job. Um, I want to play David Platt. Obviously, each individual player, youngster, have their own as a player. But um, I think generally, I mean, what it did for those kids was, you know, they went away feeling that, you know, the week was worthwhile and, and looking forward to playing more football. Coming now to your coaching manual that you, you you've just brought out or is coming out very shortly. Uh, what? First of all, what, what's, what's it called? 
Terry, the, the manual is called Achievement Excellence Carabine Supper Coaching Manual. And, um, you know, I have really targeted the carabine because if you look in terms of on the world stage, the carabine is way, way, way behind the, the rest of the world. And, yeah, they, you know, there's several reasons um, for that. Um, so I really looked at designing a manual that caters for the Caribbean because you don't see a lot of Caribbean players in the, the national leagues around the world. And you have to ask yourself, um, you know, the reason for that. Obviously, you've also been a football man. You have been in this region for quite a while. So, I mean, you would have some ideas as well. The way that is, but well, the, obviously the biggest reason, particularly in, in terms of getting them to be able to play in the UK, as, as we both know, is the fact that Barbados isn't ranked high enough in the uh, FIFA rankings for, for them to be able to get work permits to play in the UK at the moment. Yeah, that, that, obviously that's the current problem now, but obviously there are you know, the other places that you know, players can get out and play. You know, if you are good enough, you, know, you can find a way... You know, to get into a system. If you look at, I mean, Terry Gale, this youngster, um, he's about 17 or 18 now. I mean, he's been at the, the academy in Hungary for the last three years. He's about to sign a professional. Um, he's about to sign a professional contract there with a bit of clock. So, you know, if you are good enough, you know, you'll find the ways. I think the problem in the Caribbean has been that the development of the player has not been to the level that it really needs to be. And a lot of that has to do with the, the coaching and the organization and, and the coaching and the development of, of the player. So what I've tried to do is to have a manual that identifies the way of coaching five to seven year olds, seven to nine year olds, nine to 11s, and um, you know, 11 to 13s, and then, and, and then adults. And um, what I've found that been happening in the Caribbean that you, you've had some coaches who have been coaching a seven-year-old, what you'll be coaching a 15-year-old. So that in itself cannot help his development. So I've tried to break it down so that it is very simple for coaches. Um, within this manual, for each age group, there, there is a 10-week program. So the, coach can, the coaches can actually go on to week one this is what we're trying to achieve. They themselves um, get the drills in relation to the, to, to the objectives. And, um, and also, if you go on to week two, and it's done in such a way that even if that coach is not available for week three, the coach who takes over in week three can, from the manual, identify what the topics are for that week. Excellent. And uh, the, where, is the, where is the book available from now? Is it, is it actually on sale at the moment, or is it still...? Well, it will be. It's being done by UE Press, um, so it's going to be on all the e-platforms, because it's, it's an e-manual. So really, very soon, um, you will actually see all of that being, being advertised, and then I'll be able to tell um, customers where they can actually get the manual. But yes, it will be on all the e-platforms platforms on many places around the world. And it, is this, uh, are you aiming this at, at people who are qualified as coaches? Presumably that's the sort of person you're looking to buy it. This, this, this manual is also for players because, you know, too often players feel that coaching is for coaches and they don't realise that if themselves can have an idea of what goes into coaching that they can make themselves a better player. So it is for players, particularly in this downtime now where... Um, players are at home, um, 
you know, they really could be doing a lot of work with the manual. Same thing as you said with the coaches. I mean, the coaches can do a lot of planning now in terms of utilizing the manual for when football starts again. And obviously, um, you know, schools, clubs, etc. So it's a, a wide range of, of people and not just only coaches because I think players really need to get in as early as possible to understand um, what, what goes into coaching and how can it improve their game. Absolutely, and, and that is the important thing. Does it cover other things other than other than the actual football sessions, the, the training sessions, the coaching sessions? Does it in, include anything in there about teaching them a little bit about eating properly, uh, fitness levels, things like that, exercises, warm-up exercises? It deals with you know, the, 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 the various warm-ups and, and cool-downs, um, you know, and then and then it deals also with the, with the technical aspects in, in terms of, um, you know, shooting and passing, running on with the ball, running without the ball, all of those sort of things are broken down and, you know, with all the key factors, etc., etc. So it's, it's quite an extensive manual, um, which, you know, but it's all linked in. It is not just... Um, you know, basically, it takes it takes you from A to Z. Um, if you're a coach, you know, you, once you start reading it, you actually see the progression that you need to make as a coach. Sounds like a very interesting read, and I'm sure it can't possibly be as boring as the old Charles Hughes ones <laughs> was. Um, uh, because uh, I'm, I, I, I was going to say that, that, that when we were talking a little bit earlier about the schools. Uh, that the one week that I really enjoyed the most was was the week that we we always used to do it just at least one week, normally two if we could fit them in. Weeks with differently abled children, you know, people that have learning difficulties, people that have physical difficulties, uh, and there, there were some sessions where I mean, one of the first things you you, you try to do when you've got a youngster is to get them to, to pass the ball a yard and then make that yard bigger. And obviously with some of these differently abled children, it is very difficult to get them to pass a straight ball just over a yard. And the sense of achievement the first time they do it, not only you can see the joy on these kids' faces, but you personally get such a, a, a blast from, from seeing them finally be able to... To, to, to pass a ball to a partner on you know just just three feet away. I mean, absolutely, it's very rewarding working. You know, as you said, with different neighbourhood people. And the first thing really you must do is not judge them or make them feel as a victim because you know they have the same love of the game as anyone else. It's just probably because of a physical or mental situation that they are unable to fulfil that like regular kids. So the first thing I, I found is not to judge these kids. Um, and also, you just try to move at their pace because um, don't become frustrated if they can't do something. As you said, you know, if they do something very small and they feel that is that is fantastic for them, and uh, and it is fantastic for them because in their in their situation, um, you couldn't they could not have expected any more. And then any little achievement makes them feel great, and it makes you feel good as well because you know at the end of the day, it then makes you also recognise just how fortunate you are that you are a, a person with no um, frailties in terms of, of mental or physical, and it makes you appreciate life a lot more. Absolutely. Just before we wrap up, uh, 
I was going to say that when we were talking about the difficulties that, that the coaches have here in Barbados, uh, I would say one of the worst ones is probably decent surfaces to play the game on and decent surfaces to be able to train on and, and to, to actually refine your skills. Do you, do you see that as a major issue? Facilities or good facilities is always a problem, but I, I always remember um, one of my old cricket coaches in England, um, Harry, Harry Sharp, who, who was also a Middlesex player and then also became a Middlesex um, scorer. He was my first coach when I went to the MCC as a young professional. And Harry Sharp would always say to me, Roland, there's no traitor like a hungry traitor. And I got to understand that it didn't matter the facilities that you had. Once you had that hunger and desire to be special and to be good, it was possible. And um, you know, and, and his point to me was that you know you don't have to have all the great facilities to become a great player. I mean, if you look at some of the star players in the world now, particularly the, the players who come from Africa, etc. I mean, if you look at what they have to go through in order to become a good footballer. It, it just shows you that yes, facilities are great, but um, you know that will and determination and desire is much more important than the facilities. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. Uh, one last time, what is the title of the book? It's called Achieving Excellence: Caribbean Soccer Coaching Manual. And that's by Roland Butcher. It's going to be available soon, and I will certainly put up uh, some links for it. Do you have any idea what it's going to cost? Yes, it's about 20 US, and um, as you were saying, Terry, I know you were saying to me, so you get the price. Well, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Are there, are there uh, I presume there are diagrams in there, maybe photographs? Um, not photographs, but what I have done is, um, in relation to uh, various sessions, there are probably about 20 or so um, session plans, really just as tasters, because... What I tried to do with this manual, I didn't really want um, a coach to operate like, how can I say? A sergeant major in the a army. A sergeant major who gets <laughs> read from the manual. So, yeah. what is designed in such a way that if, if um, today's exercise is passing, there are objectives to what you want to achieve in the passing. But no, the coach is designing the drills to get those objectives. So he, he gets involved. He's not just following um, something that's written down for him. So he will have his particular drills to get a particular outcome. That's the important thing. So I, I try to have it so that the coach is involved with the development, that he's, he's not just following a, a, an order. Anybody can do that. Roland, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to seeing, seeing the book when it comes out. And thank you very much for your time today. Is there anything you'd like to leave as a, a, an inspiring thing to say to the coaches out there? To say to the coaches, really, the unfortunate thing right now is that this COVID-19 COVID has us all at home. But that is also a blessing in, in disguise for coaches because it now gives you the opportunity you know, to study whatever sport you're involved in and study it well and plan for eventually when you get back. Um, under the field of play. So what I would say to the coaches, do not waste your time just at home. Use it wisely, plan well, so that when you start back um, your sessions, that your players can have a lot of fun. 
Very inspiring words there, Roland. Thanks very much for, uh, for that today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much for your time. Terry, great pleasure.